No, actually, this is, um, I went back and counted, this is the 15th sermon that I've preached out of the book of Colossians. We have been making our way very, some would say slowly, I prefer the word purposefully, through the book of Colossians. I started this series, believe it or not, back in October of last year. Now, granted, we took a break, you will recall, during the holidays, and then Pastor Garrett preached a series kind of in the middle there. And then two out of the last three weeks we've had, I've been gone and we had a guest speaker, Pastor Garrett did something. So it's been kind of hit or miss, hasn't it? Uh, but still 15 weeks on what really is a very short book in the Bible, just, just four chapters. You can read it and I hope you have taken the opportunity to read it just in a single sitting. But in terms of this study that we've been doing together, we've been making our way very, very purposefully through it. Today, you may be happy to know, I don't know, please don't cheer too loudly. Today is the second to last sermon. I'm going to preach out of the book of Colossians. Uh, today we're going to hear some, some, some things. Uh, next week we're going to put a bow on the entire book and then we're going to move on. Well, it'll be Easter after that and then we'll move on to something else. But just in the way of review, I want you to keep kind of the arc of the book in mind. That's not A-R-K like you put animals in there two by two. I mean the arc of the book in mind. We started off with some inspiration. From the very beginning, Paul has been saying to this church of relatively new believers, you need to remember that God has already transformed your life. You are, in fact, a new creature. And that's why we've been using this visual metaphor of, of the caterpillars and the butterfly. There's a new creation. It's cliche, of course, but it works. It works. And Paul is, in essence, saying to them, don't think like caterpillars anymore. You are, in fact, butterflies. Uh, we heard Paul as he moved on to some kind of lofty theological conversation about just exactly how the ministry of Jesus and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus impacts that change, the, the importance of, and the centrality of Jesus' victory over death. We went on from there for Paul to describe how butterflies think different than caterpillars, how so much of this has to do with a, a change in our mindset or a change in the way we, we navigate the circumstances in our lives. And over the last few uh, weeks, the last few sermons, I think what we've heard is Paul getting very, very practical. Thank you, Paul. It's about time, right? Getting very, very practical. If you want to grow up, if you want to be this, this mature believer that we're talking about, if you want to be this butterfly, here are some very, very practical things, um, some ways that that actually looks in real life. Uh, Shirley just referenced one of them. Treating one another well is one of the things that Paul brought up. Uh, acting like Jesus in whatever circumstance you're in, whether it's a good circumstance or a bad circumstance, there's never uh, not a reason. There's, how would I, there's never a reason to not, not act like Jesus, not some of the time, no, wait, something like that. You'll work that out later. The point is, whatever circumstance you're in, maybe that's a better way of saying it, you can act like Jesus in that situation. Today we're going to hear Paul give a few final words on the practical application of growing up. And, and what should we actually be doing if we are indeed new creations? And so read with me, if you will, from Colossians chapter 4, just five verses we're going to read today. I'm going to start in verse 2 and go through verse 6. Paul writes this to this young church. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. 
Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. I need to tell you uh, how proud I am of the, the missions team that was on assignment last week. HRCC is a great church. And every time we have the opportunity to engage and do something different and do something new, as a pastor I have, and, and I, I hope the Lord will find it a righteous pride, but it is a pride nonetheless. I'm proud of my church. We, we did a great job. We had a great time, and we got a lot of very, very good work done. And I want to tell you, it was a very different missions trip. It was a very different missions team, as I think many of you know. It was kind of half HRCC people and, and half students that were part of the Chi Alpha ministry that we uh, support in, in college campuses in Chicago. But we blended well, and every member of that team did an absolutely fantastic job. Uh, the missionaries that served as our hosts there made a point of inviting us back. And it's kind of funny, they, they said, look, every missions team that, come, that comes to work with us blesses us by their coming. Some of them also bless us when they leave. <laughs> but, but you, we would really like to have you back. And I think we just developed a great partnership with some, some new missionaries who, who you guys are going to get a chance to meet later on this year. We're going to have them in on a Sunday so you can meet the holders and, and learn more a little bit about what we did, uh, those of us that were there while we did that. We got an invitation to come back. That, that doesn't always happen. Um, and, and I want to report this to you, to the church family. This is very, very true. This is not hyperbole. HRCC might not be the biggest church in the world. We aren't the biggest church in Downers Grove. But you need to know this. We are gaining a global reputation. Literally a global reputation. There are missionaries. There are ministries. There are churches literally around the world that, that are proud of their partnership with Hobson Road Community Church in Downers Grove. And when we get to go to a new place, that's right. You can celebrate that. When we get to go to a new place and, and, and just kind of be a part of what God is doing in a different context, every time that happens, I'm proud of my church. I'm proud of my church. One thing that I pointed out to our team on the, the last night that we were together in New Orleans, uh, this trip was a little bit different. Rather than having one project and seeing it through from beginning to end over the course of our trip, we actually did a little bit something different every day. Uh, we worked with a number of different ministry partners in a, in a number of different projects. There were all kinds of different things we did. We, we met homeless people. That was certainly the primary focus of our trip. But we, we prepared and packed meals. We did hygiene bags. We served a couple of different local churches. We did hurricane cleanup in a community that was still devastated by Hurricane Ida from a year ago. Every day we did something different and worked with a different partner. But the common thread was this, literally every time we were given a job, we finished that job more quickly, more thoroughly, and more skillfully than we were expected to. Apparently expectations aren't very high <laughs> because every time this team knocked it out of the park and our hosts would comment, they would say, oh my goodness, we, 
We, we, didn't, we didn't think you were going to get through all that. We didn't think you were going to meet that many people. We didn't think you were going to be able to do all of these things. We just worked well. Every one of our hosts commented on the energy and the enthusiasm that, that your team had for the task. And everybody, everybody worked hard. Everybody stretched themselves beyond their comfort zone. Everybody let God work through them. And again, I just want to report that I'm so proud of them for that. And that's really one of the reasons that I love taking believers on short-term mission trips. Of course, the point is to serve the people that we encounter, but there's something else that happens on missions trips that I really believe in. I believe that mission trips can be transformational in the life of a believer. The trip itself can kind of be a spiritual growth hormone. It stimulates us to become the people that God designed us to be. Now, why is that? Well, I believe that it's because when you're on a mission trip, you're very, very acutely aware of the fact that you are on God's clock all day long. I use this language with our missions teams. I say every moment of every day, every moment of every day, you're doing kingdom business. Now, those of you that have been on missions trips with me will know that that does not mean that we don't have fun. It does not mean that we don't goof around and just have a good time a lot of the times. Uh, I can tell you that many of the deepest belly laughs I've had in the course of the last 10 years have been on the mission field with members of this church, be it in New Orleans or in Haiti or in El Paso, Illinois. I mean, we know how to have fun. Can my missionaries say amen? Right? We know how to have fun. We, we In New Orleans, some of the things we did in addition to our, 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 our specific ministry, we played games together. One night at dinner, Todd Lucas, our, our missionary partner, took out his phone and we just watched silly YouTube videos that he remembered of TV shows from his childhood. Uh, there was one night, oh, I, we took funny pictures of each other. Uh, if you would like to know what I look like with literally no hair anywhere on my head, Talk to Hannah Black. She has a photo that she took with a filter. It's spectacular. It's going on the website, folks. Um, but in the interest of kind of mutually assured destruction between Hannah and myself, one night we helped a local church with an outreach they were doing. And after their church service, they had a they had a fair out back in their parking lot. And as part of the fair, they had a, an axe throwing contest. They're, you know, you go throw axes. Okay, I'm axing you. No. Uh, and they did an axe throwing contest, and Hannah Black and Mo Kerner said, we're going to throw axes. I said, okay. And so Hannah and Mo got up in the booth, and the guy showed them how to throw axes, you know, overhand, one hand, two hand, you're going to do this, count three, and you're going to throw, and there's the targets, and you got to, I don't, I don't remember if they did it five or six times. I took video of every one of their attempts. And not once did they bury the axe in the target. Every time they'd throw the axe, it would just kind of like flutter, like a butterfly, actually, and, and, and hit the wood and, and just fall harmlessly to the ground. And I feel like I can report to you today, if for any reason, and I don't know why this would happen, but if at any point, for any reason, either Hannah or Mo should get angry at you and run after you wielding an axe, you're going to be okay. Like, you're going to be good. And I have, I have video evidence to prove it. We, we have fun on our mission trips. There are plenty of things that we did that don't really seem to be very spiritual at all. But they are. They are. 
Because in that context, when you're on a missions trip, your whole purpose, every moment of every day, is to live out the Great Commission. You're there in that different place to go into all the world with the gospel and make disciples. And that's what we were doing. At home, it's easy enough to settle into a routine, isn't it? We wake up, we go to work, we come home, we do our chores, we go to sleep, we lather, we rinse, we repeat. It just keeps coming, coming again and again and again. You do that for more than just a few days in a row, and pretty soon you're going to lose sight of your identity. You're going to lose sight of your purpose in Jesus. But when you're on a missions trip, you've broken that cycle. You've broken that cycle. You've awakened to your understanding and this realization that everything you're doing, you're doing for Christ's sake. You're living the way God intended you to live in the power that he gave you to live. And part of what I hear Paul saying in this passage that we just read is that mature believers need to learn to take the mission field back home with them. Even in the monotony of day-to-day life, a mature believer has learned to always stay focused on kingdom business. Always stay focused on kingdom business. Here's what we know about the Apostle Paul. Before he became a follower of Jesus Christ, he was a student of theology. He was a member of a religious sect called the Pharisees, and as a Pharisee, He would have been a student and a growing budding expert in the ancient Hebrew scriptures. It was something that was very important to him, central to his life. He once called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? We also know about the Apostle Paul before he came to faith in Jesus Christ, that at some point he had picked up the skill of tent making, and that was his marketplace trade. He would make and sell tents. And then one day Paul encountered Jesus, and here's the thing. Something fundamental to his being changed when he encountered Jesus Christ. But what's interesting to me about that is Paul continued to do the same things that he used to do. We know for a fact, based on the scripture, that Paul continued to be a student of theology. He continued to study the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament. We know for a fact that he continued to make tents. He continued to sell them in the marketplace. That's what he did. But here's the thing. He no longer considered himself to be first and foremost a theology student, a Pharisee, or a tent maker. As a matter of fact, in a different letter, in a letter to the church in Philippi, he wrote, I now consider all of those things loss for the sake of knowing Christ. I still do some of those things because that's the rhythm of my life, but it's not what drives me. It's not who I am. Paul's identity was as a follower of Jesus. And so everything he did, he did with a focus on kingdom business. He writes to the Colossians and uses these words. This is his advice from verse two. We just read it, but he says, devote yourselves with an alert mind. Now he's referring specifically to their habit of prayer here, but I think it applies to most anything we do. He says, devote yourselves with an alert mind. Devoted people stay committed to their purpose. They don't waver. They don't do one thing one day and and something different the next day. They, They maintain a commitment to their purpose. And people with alert minds are always aware 
of their circumstances. They know what's going on. These kinds of people do the same things that the rest of us do. They get up. They go to work. They eat their meals. They care for their families. They have fun with their friends and they go to sleep at night. But they do all of those things with a God-driven focus on kingdom business. Every moment of every day. Always on the clock. So how can we do that? How can we do that? I believe Paul gives us three specific suggestions. The first one is this. He says, support your partners. Support your partners. Way, way back. Back in October. Maybe first week or so of November. At the very beginning of this letter to the Colossians, when we, when we studied it, we heard Paul say one of the things that growing up involves is recognizing that you're part of a great big tribe. He said, even if you feel alone in your faith, even if you feel alone in your relationship with Jesus, even if you feel like you're not like anyone else, it's not true. You're part of a great big tribe. You are an important part of a heritage that spans the globe and runs throughout history. And remembering that truth can be very important. It can be an important source of encouragement when you feel under attack. Let me tell you this about the devil. It's not really from the text today, but I think it's important, and I want you to remember it. The devil is very effective at what he does. He's just not very creative. You ever notice that? He's very good. I'm not trying to say, oh, don't worry about the devil. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying recognize he's not very creative. He's been doing the same thing over and over and over again. I think I've put it this way in the past. He doesn't have very many weapons in his arsenal. He's pretty limited in what he's able to do. He's good at it, but he's limited in what he's able to do. Here's what that means. Whatever obstacle you're facing, whatever attack you feel like you're under spiritually today, whatever that circumstance is that you recognize, you perceive, you discern to be spiritual warfare, it's not new. It's not new. The enemy didn't invent that just for you. It's something he's used before. Someone else has faced what you're facing now. Someone else has gone through what you're going through now. And you know what? They've been victorious. And so are you. So are you. Someone else has experienced that. And just like them, you too can overcome. That's part of the practical issue of recognizing that you're part of a great big tribe. But the reverse of that is just as true. Just as you might draw strength from others that are part of your tribe, so too they should be drawing strength from you. Here's what Paul says. It's in verse 3 of what we just read. He says, pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities. Now, I want you to think about the reality of that. He's telling the Colossians, I want you to pray for us. Paul's in prison as he's writing this, and his ministry team have gotten into another kerfuffle, and there they are in prison. And he's saying, hey, we would appreciate your prayers because we believe there are still opportunities for ministry yet in front of us. Follow that. This is the Apostle Paul. He is at the height of his influence and his impact. In, in, in the early church, in the first century. This is the great Apostle Paul in the midst of one of his most powerful missionary journeys. And he's saying to a small church in a place that he's never gone before with relatively new believers, he's saying, I want your prayers because he believed that their prayers would make a difference. 
I mean, don't we tend to think it would be the other way around? Shouldn't the Colossians be saying, Paul, dude, if you could find a way to like, you know, give us 10 seconds of prayer time out of your day, we really feel like that would be impactful for us because you're, you know, Paul. <laughs> you would be like Paul to be praying for us. And Paul's taking that and turning it around. He's saying, no, I believe that your prayers are going to change my reality. I want you to grow up and support your partners, he's saying. Look, it doesn't matter how insignificant or ineffective you think you are. You have kingdom partners that are relying on your support. There are missionaries that need your prayers. There are ministries that are relying on your skill and your finances. There are people in your own church family that need an encouraging word that today God in his wisdom has decided only you can give. Your partners need your support. And when we are on our game, when we are focused on kingdom business, our eyes are open to the fact that the world is filled with kingdom partners who need our support. Growing up means realizing that God has designed his kingdom to function in a way that requires my participation and my engagement each and every day. Every minute of every day. And that means I'm going to have to be alert to the possibilities that God puts in front of me as I go through my life. As I said, kind of our, our primary function and the theme of our ministry in New Orleans was serving the homeless population. And so on the day we spent with, with Josh and Andrea Holder, we, we spent the morning collecting supplies and putting together uh, hygiene kits, different kind of supplies that we could give out, and then uh, meals. We had hot meals, um, ready, ready to serve and to go containers that we were gonna take out to the streets. One of the big challenges that I found I went into this never having done anything quite like this. And I wondered about, you know, how am I going to do at this? How am I? I don't, I don't like to, you know, talk to people. <laughs> you know, like this isn't really in my wheelhouse, like going up to strangers and just saying, hey, how are you doing in your tent and funky mattress there? Like, that's not really my comfort zone. And so I, I wondered, how am I going to do in this circumstance? Um, but what, what surprised me about myself is that the biggest challenge wasn't engaging people. In a way, the biggest challenge was just seeing people. Let me tell you what I mean. The very first place we went out, we drove to a particular intersection where, where Josh and Andrea do a lot of work, and we pulled into a parking lot at a, a CVS pharmacy. And Josh had said, I, you know, I don't want the whole team to come out here, but... I need three or four people to just come out with me and we're going to go work this intersection. There's, there's a number of panhandlers there that, that we know well and, and I know are going to be there. We pulled into this parking lot. Andrea was sitting, I was driving this 15 passenger van. Andrea was sitting uh, riding a shotgun with me. And uh, we pulled into the parking lot and as we pulled in, I, I saw one homeless person just kind of across the way. I go, okay, we're, we're, we're here to help them. And Andrea said, okay, uh, we need three people to step out. There's six homeless here. Like there's, I was saw <laughs> And we're looking around and like, and now granted, I was driving and I wasn't like peering out the window, but I only saw one person. I couldn't believe it when she said six. And I'm looking all over like, where are they? Where are they? Like, where are the people that God sent us here to minister to? 
Where are the people that God sent us here to serve? It was a surprise to me how difficult it was for me just to see them. Later on that day, when we actually had finished our work, we we packed up the remainder of our supplies and Josh said, let's head home. He was driving his pickup truck. It was my job to follow him in the van. And again, we're headed through the streets of New Orleans. I'm thinking, I'm focused on getting to the next place. I'm focused on following his vehicle, making sure we don't get disconnected or lost or anything. And at some point, he just pulled over to the side of the road. And I thought, oh my goodness, is something wrong? Is there a problem with the truck? Did we forget something? Did we leave some supplies behind? What is this? All of a sudden, his window rolls down and he reaches out with a stack of leftover meals and the lady comes up and he leaned out and just started talking with her. I never even saw her. Never even saw her. Just seeing is so much of the challenge. I was so focused on just getting to the next place. But when you're focused on kingdom business, the world is suddenly full of possibilities. And our responsibility is to understand when to step out in faith and take some chances. Take some chances. Let me tell you this about what I do understand about kingdom ministry. Not every person you share the gospel with is gonna come to faith in Jesus Christ. Not every person you counsel is gonna end up making wise and godly choices. Not every person you serve is going to end up being grateful or even recognizing that you've blessed them. Kingdom work is fraught with failure. It's fraught with failure. The staff has heard me say this. I believe that if we haven't failed recently, we probably haven't been trying hard enough. We've probably been missing out on some of the opportunities that God has placed in front of us. And that's a real tragedy. So Paul gives us this counsel in verse 5. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Listen to the language there. Make the most of every opportunity, he says. He doesn't tell them to pray for more opportunities. He doesn't say, ask God to give you the chance to make a difference. Paul presupposes that this young church already has the opportunities to make a difference, to do real kingdom work. He knows that the Spirit of God is placing opportunity in front of them. His counsel isn't find more opportunities. His counsel is make the most of what's already there. They need to open their eyes. Like I needed to open my eyes and see the opportunities and take some chances. Sometimes I hear well-meaning Christians speak longingly about their desire to make an impact for God's kingdom. And people end up saying something to the effect of, you know, if, if such and such a circumstance ever presented itself, yeah, if, if I ever had the opportunity to go on a missions trip, I would really like, you know, to do A, B, or C. If, if, if I ever had the finances to do so, I'd really like to invest in, in one, two, or three. If I ever, if, 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 then here's what I'd do. I would love to make a difference, but I just haven't had my chance yet. Church with love, let me say this. That's a lie. It's a lie. In our metaphor, that's caterpillar thinking. But that's not how butterflies operate. The word of God says you have opportunities to impact the kingdom. Paul's advice to the Christians wanting to grow is take some chances and make the most of the opportunities that are already in front of you. Let me put it this way. Here's what I believe that means for this church, for this group. 
If today you are a follower of Jesus, then I believe that before you leave this building today, you're going to have the opportunity to strengthen and expand the kingdom of heaven. Before you leave the building today, I believe you're going to have the opportunity to glorify God. Before you leave the building today, I believe you will have the opportunity to tear down and demolish evil strongholds in the name and the power of Jesus Christ. It's going to happen today before you leave the building. Those opportunities exist. The issue for growing mature Christians is whether or not we're going to see and seize those opportunities. And as I've said before, taking chances, right? Efforting to capitalize on opportunities. All of that, it involves risk. And one of the greatest risks is that it's gonna attract attention. Positive attention, but negative attention too. People are going to have things to say about a Christian who stays focused on kingdom business. And you know why? Because it's not natural. It's not normal. It's not ordinary. It doesn't make sense in a fallen world. Caterpillars will never understand why butterflies fly. Why would you fly? When you're perfectly fine on the branch of this tree with all the leaves you could ever want to eat, why would you even do a thing like that? It's not natural. But that's okay. As a matter of fact, it's kind of part of the plan, isn't it? The Apostle Paul certainly knew what it was to have people question his tactics. And so he gives some advice to those of us who have experienced the same. His advice is this. He says, engage your critics. Engage your critics. Now let me clarify what I mean here. When I use the word engage, I am not using the word engage in the same way the military uses the word engage. Uh, Headquarters, we've got enemy enemy bogeys at 10 o'clock. We need to engage them with artillery. Right? That is, that is not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about engage your critics, as in don't ignore people who question your motives. Don't ignore people who question your lifestyle. The way you respond to them just might be precisely one of the opportunities God has given you to accomplish kingdom work. Here's specifically how Paul puts it. He says it better than I could. Verse six, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Gracious and attractive conversation so that you will have the right response for everyone. One more time, let me clarify what I believe Paul is saying here. When he says right response, he's not equating being right with knowing more facts or having more information. For Paul, being right is more about gracious conversation. It's, it's more about dialogue that attracts rather than attacks. That's what being right looks like to Paul. Now, sometimes that's harder to do than we might think. One of the nights that we were in New Orleans, uh, I mentioned we, we helped a local church with a, an outreach service that they were doing. So they They had invited all kinds of people from the community to come to this revival service. We served as volunteers at the service, and then they had this fair with the great axe-throwing debacle in the back. 
Um, but what all of that meant is we actually never took a break for dinner that evening. And so when we were finally done with, with the service, it was about 10.30 at night, and we, we piled into the van. We were about 20 minutes away from the hotel. But I told the team, no, it's late. We never, we never stop for dinner. For those of you that are still hungry and do want to get something before bed, um, we'll stop at a fast food place and just get something on the way home. So we were on, on the way home and we saw a, a Popeye's chicken and several of the Kai Alpha students in, in the back. Uh, it was kind of like a little revival back then. Like, oh, Popeye's. Popeye's. So we decided we were going to Popeye's. I said, you know, it would be easier for me to just park this big old van in the parking lot and y'all can go in the dining room and place your orders. I might even try the drive-thru with this beast. Uh, but unfortunately, we pulled into the parking lot and saw that the dining room was closed. The kitchen was still open and there were several cars in the drive-thru lane. So much to my chagrin, <laughs> I pulled the boat in, into the drive-thru lane. And we got up to the order window. I told the team, okay, now I am gonna to have to place the order. So consolidate these orders so that I can do this in an intelligent fashion. <laughs> what are the chances, right? So we get up there, I roll down the window. Welcome Popeyes, can I take your order? I said, yeah, but I'm looking at this list I've got. Um, I, I, I need five chicken sandwiches. And the lady says, we're out of chicken sandwiches. <laughs> So I'm already like thinking, okay, what are we gonna, how are we gonna serve this out? I said, okay, okay, I need two chicken tender meals. We're out of chicken tender meals. Well, I need a four-piece chicken dinner. We're out of the four-piece chicken dinner. I said, well, yeah, like, this is Popeye's chicken. Like, I feel like we've exhausted the menu here. I said, do you have anything else? She said, I said, I said what else is even on the menu? She said, well, we have the fish sandwich on the menu. But we're out of the fish sandwich. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, what, what are those other people eating? <laughs> like, I've watched other people go through the line. It was, it was late. I was tired. I was not planning to eat, but I had 1,300 people in the back of my van. And now Popeye's is out of everything? Right, like, what, what, what do you do? And so here's what I did. I put on my best Jesus smile and I said, have a pleasant evening. <laughs> and I drove through the drive-thru. No problem, because a block away is Chick-fil-A. Yeah. And that's the Lord's chicken, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The line at the Chick-fil-A drive-thru was three blocks long. I said, no, no, no. Get thee behind me, Chick-fil-A. We are not going there. But a block from away from Chicken uh, Chick Fil A was Taco Bell. Okay, so we've like gone like you know what I'm saying like Taco Bell, and and then they're like we're doing Taco Bell. So I get in line again. The dining room's closed, so I pull this boat of a van into the line at Taco, and the, and we're like third in line guys. So we have two cars go. Pull up, get to the you know the order place. I roll down the window. Silence. Time. I'm looking in the window, like trying to see the Taco Bell over there, and I can see in the windows the workers are in there. <laughs> in the meantime, somebody in the back looks out there because they still see the Popeyes. And they're like, people are going through the Popeyes getting served. 
They just didn't want to serve us in a great big mail. Now, I've, I've never been in the fast food industry, so maybe somebody who has some experience with this can, can explain this to me. I don't understand how it's harder to hand five chicken sandwiches to one vehicle than it would be to hand them to five different vehicles. But in both of those drive throughs we were just completely ignored until we left, and then they went on serving other people. So we got done with Taco Bell. I said, you know what, you're, you're gonna have to just eat the peanuts in your hotel room or whatever, we're going home. Everybody was like, yeah, yeah, we're going home. So we're, we're driving away, and as I said, as we drove back by Popeyes, we could see their drive-through was still open, people were eating. Someone was like, I'm going out there and grabbing one of those chicken sandwiches when they pass it out the window, right? And we had hungry, hungry people. And, and I'm thinking, well, you know, what are you gonna do? I, I wasn't gonna eat anyhow, so it was no problem for me. Um, that was a joke, by the way. But as we're pulling away, somebody in the back of the van, and I think I know who it was, but I'm not sure, so I'm not gonna drag anybody's name through the mud just right now. But somebody in the back of the van says to me, um, you know, one thing about this is, Dan, if we ever hear you say, okay, have a pleasant evening, we'll know that you're not really a good man. <laughs> Sometimes we think we're being gracious, but it's a little harder than we thought, isn't it? Have a pleasant evening. The responses that we give to the challenges in life, the, the questions that are asked about our behavior, and look, they might not always be negative, but there's gonna be questions, right? And the responses that we give are a central part of our commitment to staying focused on kingdom business. Part of what I hear Paul saying here is, you wanna know how to tell the difference between a mature believer and an immature believer? Listen to the answers they give people. Listen to the answers they give people. Are they gracious and attractive? Or are they argumentative and defensive? That's the difference. In a world full of caterpillars, unchanged, untransformed by the gospel of Jesus, a butterfly is gonna attract some attention, don't you think? Butterfly is gonna turn some heads. And growing up means learning how to respond to that kind of attention. My prayer for HRCC is this. I pray that we would attract more attention, not less. Look, you guys know me. I, I, you know, I'm not talking about we're going to stir the pots. I'm not talking about we're going to get out there and be provocative and pick fights. No. I just think we're going to be different. I think we're going to be unique. I think we're going to stand out a little bit. I think the world is going to take notice of our wings. And the fact that there's something different about that community of people, I pray that HRCC would attract even more attention. We are, we are a people that have been transformed by the love and the power of Jesus. We have plenty of things to work on, but being changed is not one of them. Do we hear what Paul has said? No, 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 no. You have been changed now. There's still some work, right? God's still working on me. God's still working on you. I'm not saying any of us are done yet, but don't tell me you're working on that transformation. God has said otherwise. Amen. Growing up in our faith, focused on kingdom business, fruitful in ministry, 
impacting eternity. Let's pray together to that end. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this reminder that we are growing. And we can hold those two truths, even in the tension that we sometimes feel in them. That, yeah, God, you know, none of us is claiming to have it all figured out yet. We aren't claiming that we're just done and you can move on to somebody else. We are all being molded daily. But Lord, by the same token, none of us has met you and gone away unchanged. And sometimes, Lord, I just become keenly aware of the fact that it's really more an issue of what we see and what we take note of. It's really more an issue of developing that discipline and that mindset to remember that every moment of every day, we're on your clock. And so, the things that we do in our lives, waking up, going to school, going to work, coming home, taking care of our family, having fun with our friends, going to bed and doing it all over again. Lord, help us to see the divine in every one of those activities. Help us to see the miraculous in every one of those activities. Help us to soar through those activities as butterflies rather than to trudge through them as caterpillars in the mud. Father, I believe that in this room alone, in this room alone, stands a remnant of people that you have anointed for powerful and impactful ministry in your kingdom. Awaken us to the opportunities that you have right in front of us. Encourage us, Lord, I pray, as we do your work. Strengthen us, because God, we need you strength. I thank you for the work that you're doing among my brothers and my sisters. And I pray, Lord, that that work would be brought into its complete, complete process by the power and in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And every one of God's children says, Amen. 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 Hey, it's good to be home. Celebrate with each other today. Give somebody a warm greeting. Impact eternity before you leave the building today. And we'll see you for a busy weekend next weekend at HRCC. God bless.